Hello, and welcome back to A Texan Abroad. This is the 16th of my 30 political conversations video podcast I'll be doing and putting up on Instagram TV. You can find my Instagram profile, a.texan.abroad. You can also find the audio versions on my podcast feed, A Texan Abroad, available on iTunes or anywhere where you get your podcast. Find me in any of those places, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Let me know how I'm doing and what you're thinking about what I'm saying. Yesterday, I got to tackle uh, a topic near and dear to my heart, the universal basic income. It was the halfway mark and my uh, quest to get to 30 podcasts in 30 days. Uh, Really interesting conversation and a really interesting concept. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to it if you get a chance. Uh, I'd like to look at another broad topic today, uh, that is healthcare and mental health. Um, And it's going to be a little bit difficult to uh, condense it down into 14 minutes. But as it's pretty cold outside, I'll uh, try and talk as fast as possible and squeeze in as much information as I can. The first question I've got listed here that I want to ask is, does everyone deserve access to quality health care? And I think when you hear that question, most people will believe that your answer will depend on your party affiliation. Uh, most people on the left believe that people on the right don't want to provide uh, quality health care to people who can't afford it. They, they think that somehow the other side is somewhat heartless. I actually disagree. Uh, having, to talk, having talked to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, I think that almost everyone is in consensus that quality health care, like quality education, um, are things that absolutely should be provided by the government, by society. The question is not whether they should be provided, but how, uh, in what form. Some people want the government to pay for everything and be the only option. Other people want a private option as well. Um, People want to make sure that uh, some successful people don't want to actually have to subsidize uh, all the costs of, of thousands of impoverished people. Fair or not, that's just kind of how they feel. Point being, I think it's a pretty generally accepted truth that everyone deserves access to quality health care. It's more of a question of how it's going to be done. What are the logistics of it? And that's where I get into, I want to get into now, the two kinds of options or the two kinds of ideas that are competing and some of the problems with both. So what are the problems with the government, uh, government funded, government mandated, government controlled health care? The main problem I think about when I think about that kind of idea is We want doctors and nurses, medical practitioners, because of how important and serious it is, more so now than ever, uh, as we see thousands of people dying uh, essentially every day, more and more infected in the middle of a pandemic. Not only do we need more practitioners, we need more people in these medical fields looking towards the future, but we need smart people. We need people who are motivated, who are driven. The problem is that most people these days Uh, are motivated and driven by the financial benefits that they receive from a particular profession. Now, if we were to institute UBI, like I talked about yesterday, then maybe we can alleviate some of the concerns uh, that I'm about to mention. But right now, systems, uh, if a person wants to have a good career in the medical industry, you maybe you can go to Western Europe. Uh, I don't know enough about how much they make and the quality of their physicians and, and medical care. I think it's pretty good. Although I actually had one student this summer that I worked with 
who lives in Copenhagen, and she actually says that she goes to her private insurance, private clinics more often than she does public hospitals. And actually, most of the people that she knows live there the, that live there do the same. Regardless, um, the people who are most incentivized uh, to go after a particular profession, or people are most incentivized to go after a particular profession because of the personal gains that you can get there. Now, there's some people who are saints who decide to do it out of the goodness of their heart. But let's be honest, most people don't do that. The average person does not look at how can I make the world a little bit better. The average person looks at where can I make a decent money and provide for my family and hopefully on top of that, give a little bit back to society. And in America, being a doctor is quite a lucrative profession. Um, the healthcare industry pays uh, its doctors, its nurses, its practitioners pretty well, um, depending on obviously the job and the hospital and the city and the state and everything else. Regardless, there's an incentive there to pursue that particular career path and to stick with it. I've met lots of doctors here in Russia and Thailand and Turkey and China. Particularly here in Russia, most of the doctors I've met, I would say 75% of them, they're not doctors anymore. They work for medical companies, ph pharmaceutical companies. Um, the ones that are doctors are actually doctors in private clinics because the doctors working in public hospitals, they don't make enough money to support themselves at all. Uh, it's astounding when you think about the amount of money that they make, um, even though they should be incredibly well paid. And I think the same thing, again, about teachers. The question is, how do we provide quality access or access to quality health care with the best doctors and the best nurses, but still incentivize people to become doctors and nurses when it's not going to be as financially lucrative as it perhaps would be as it currently is? So that's one of the things that I think about most importantly is I don't want the quality of health care to drop off in the U.S., I think there's also a logistical issue uh, in terms of how are you going to, uh, who is going to provide it, right? When, when we think about government, again, for me, and I've said this on a lot of the different podcasts and the conversations that I've had, I think a lot about inefficiency because there's bureaucracy. Now, there's, there's reasons for that bureaucracy, but I do think about uh, how slow things run in certain spheres and certain sectors, how the government sometimes is paralyzed in terms of what to do um, because of a, a stonewalling or deadlocking because of different ideas about how someone should proceed. And I think it's pretty dangerous when you put a medical system in that kind of state of paralysis. Yeah. Now, what are the problems with the private insurance, the private kind of industry and system, private healthcare system that currently exists in the U.S.? It's actually quite the opposite, and it's also a problem, and that is that every decision made in that kind of situation is much more, about of, a is much more of a business decision than anything else. These are people's lives, and people uh, both in insurance companies and hospitals, and sometimes even doctors, are looking at it like it's a business decision, and it is. They are, that is their profession, that is their line of work, that is their business, that is their livelihood, so I completely understand that. However, there has to be some sense of humanity when making those decisions about who gets what kind of coverage for what kind of disease and what kind of treatment is actually paid for. There needs to be humanity in the decision-making and the provision of coverage and medical services. That's absolutely true. But, again, we need to make sure that the right people are still practicing and living 
in, in the U.S. as doctors and nurses and medical practitioners. It's a difficult kind of tightrope to walk. We're going to need some creative solutions to solve that kind of dilemma. Um, and that's not the only one. So what are, what are some of the other problems and you know, perhaps potential solutions that I think are facing the, the healthcare industry? Well, again, I think the first problem, as I talked about already a little bit, is access. Who actually has access to the top quality medical care? And not only that, um, what level of medical care do people have access to? I've often said, in terms of being sick, if you're going to be sick and you have access to the most expensive health care that money can buy, I don't think there's a better place than in the U.S. to be sick and, uh, and have access to those top quality doctors and institutions and research facilities. I think that's absolutely true and I, I'm not sure how many people would even argue with me on that. That being said, not everyone has access to that. Those are the top level, very expensive doctors with uh, only covered by you know top level insurance providers and insurance um, policies. So what type of access do we want to grant? It's a difficult question. Um, I also think that uh, we need to improve, actually, well, we need to keep the quality that we currently have and actually work towards improving it. Yeah? Um, one of the things that I think the pandemic has taught us a little bit is perhaps there's a little bit too much bureaucracy and how we go about improving medicine and adapting and adopting, uh, creating and manufacturing um, different, not just vaccines, but different medicines, different cures. Now, as I said before, I think there's a reason for some of the delay. There's a, le a reason for some of the bureaucracy. But I do think that we need to think about how the medical institutions, the medical facilities, um, and even pharmaceuticals, um, how they make decisions, how the processes work, and can we streamline them in any way to make sure that things are working as smoothly as they possibly can. Perhaps to reduce costs and overhead for private industry so that they can explore ideas at a more kind of uh, cost-effective level that can then provide quality medications to people around the country and around the world. Um, another thing that I think we need to work on is our foresight. Uh, now, Bill Gates would have said this, or did say this, five years ago. We need to think about not just the things that have been plaguing us, that are plaguing us right now, uh, things like cancer and HIV, um, heart disease, but things that actually might come to, come to pass, come to be uh, um, harbingers of doom, if you will, bigger issues, like a future pandemic. We need to put money and resources into infrastructure, which I think one of the problems in the U.S., more so than I think a lot of European countries, is because of the federalistic nature of the country, because you have division between states and national governments, you ultimately, uh, there is no kind of coherence. There is no kind of under one umbrella, this is how we're going to do it. No kind of resource with someone actually directing in a pandemic or any other national kind of healthcare crisis, how we're gonna go about solving it. I think, and I talked about this before when I talked about COVID-19, I don't think you can blame Trump per se for a lot of the um, bad things that happened because of the pandemic, save one thing, and that is leadership. And I think that 
the ideal kind of system in the U.S. needs to be one that while it is not a system that requires all states to act in the same way, it is one that unifies them towards a similar goal. If another crisis like this were to arise, once this one is actually behind us, we need a unified vision. We need to be able to uh, unite together as states and have the infrastructure and the ideas, the resources and the direction to work together towards combating it in a common way, which is something I think the U.S. is still struggling with, with right now, whereas most states have a much bigger federal plan um, with some small nuances in localities. The U.S. has 50 different ideas, maybe 150, depending on the city uh, and the state. That is something I think that is really critical for the U.S. moving forward. And I'd like to see that not just necessarily uh, with healthcare, but with other ideas as well. The 50 little democracies idea is fantastic. I think it needs to stay alive. I said that when I talked about the American system of government. But I also think when it comes to education, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to certain things, and when it comes to thinking about potential crises in the future, we need to talk with each other and work with each other as states. And while we might have slightly different routes to getting to a place, we need to be in the same direction and on the same path. Think about that. Think about what I've said. Think about what you think. And until tomorrow, I'm a Texan abroad. Uh -huh.